Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you for the testimonies that we've heard today, and we thank you that you're moving in your church. Lord, you're moving in this place, and you're moving in this city. And we thank you, Lord, for the move of your spirit. We thank you for it ever increasing amongst us, and increasing amongst your church. Lord, in Jesus' name, we praise you for what you are doing, and we welcome the increase. For your word declares, Lord, that of the increase of your government and of your peace, there shall be no end. And Father, we proclaim it today, even in this place. And we pray, Father, that this very morning, that you would give miracles to those who need them. We pray, Lord, that those who are amongst us who perhaps don't yet know you as Lord and Savior and the goodness of your love, your grace, your forgiveness in their lives, we pray that today that they would experience your presence and your love and leave this place changed and saved and knowing your presence in their lives. Father God, we pray that people who have been away from you will come back and discover the great love of the Father God. We just welcome you and pray that you would speak to us, Lord, into all of our hearts today through your word and by your spirit. We do receive your word and welcome your spirit to work in our lives in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Well, I wonder if you could turn with me to 1st Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. 1st Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. See if I can I normally have a headset rather than a handheld, so it's a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a job, this. Thank you, Lord. All right. I just want to, um, yeah, I want to share with you on a particular subject today. And I want to give you a little heads up as to where I'm headed. You know, as many of you know, I've spent about 32 years traveling the world sharing the gospel and... Um, uh, for a good many of those years, before Jesus set me free from the fear of flying, and I had a considerable fear of flying uh, for a, a good number of years, um, I can actually tell you, I, I used to get on a 747, and, and I wouldn't eat anything, and I wouldn't drink anything until we landed. I, I, would, I would almost hold on to the seat, and I would pray. And I would pray from the moment I got on the plane and I would pray <laughs> as I was getting off. And I can tell you something that when that's a long haul and you're doing seven to nine hours, that's a lot of praying. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be really intense. I, I would be part of the white knuckle club, if you know the white, what I'm talking about. And uh, I hated turbulence. Have you ever been, know what, you're, what that's all about? And um, sometimes when I would be up there, you know, man alive, I, my, my tongue would be dry and my hands would be wet with sweat. I, I was just in a terrible state. I'd had people trying to cast things out of me and, and uh, I'd been up for every kind of prayer. I sometimes say to people, you know, that little bald spot there, that's just where I had all the prayer. But, you know, but the truth about it is no matter how much prayer I had, I just didn't get free. I didn't get free until I had a, received a revelation of the Father's love for me. And it was the revelation of the Father's love. God's got many ways of delivering us. And one of his ways is he gives you revelation. And he gave me a revelation of his Father's heart and of his love. And as I received that revelation, it drove out the fear. 
It's a very interesting thing that when it says in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, that perfect love drives out all fear. And the expression in the Greek, drives out, is exactly the same word as is used in Mark 16, where it says, in my name they will drive out demons. It's the identical word. It's incredible that love, perfect love, can literally drive out the spirit of fear in the same way that a command in the name of Jesus can drive out fear. It's just different times, different ways that God does things. But I wanted just to share something with you, and it's this is that um, in the early days for me, when I would arrive at an airport, I'd start to get nervous before I'd even left the house. You know, and as I would get near and near to the airport, particularly if I saw dark clouds, uh, because dark clouds translated into heavy turbulence, you know. And I would look at that, and I was not looking forward to it. I'd be praying for everything. I was praying for the pilot, for the hostesses, praying for the engines, praying for the security. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I'd seen the dead raised. I'd preached the gospel in war zones. I didn't mind. I'd been up in front of guns. I'd done all kinds of quote-unquote courageous things for the gospel. Just don't put me on a 747, you know. I would just, you know... And so the thing about it is I would get this so irrational. It's actually the safest way to travel. And today I love it. But in those days, I was bound by a spirit of fear. And, uh, and you know, I could remember, you know, how I was, when I saw those dark clouds, it would put me into fear. But I want to say something today is that I discovered something through my many years of flying. I do lots of flying. I've just done hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of flights through the years uh, in my traveling. But one of the things that I've learned, and today it never bothers me because I know what's coming on the other side, is that sometimes I get on that plane and I see the dark clouds. But I know that there is power in those engines working together with this law of lift that exceeds the law of gravity, this law of aerodynamics. That as long as that plane cooperates with that law and there's fuel enough in the engine and the planes are working, it's going to push me through the dark clouds. And on the other side, it's going to be like the brightest day. And I just wanted to share that with you because of where I feel as I prayed for you as a church. I've not been here since last year. And I just sense in my spirit that the enemy has tried to put like dark clouds around. And some of you have encountered that and some of you have had your own interpretations about what the dark clouds are about and all of that. And for some of you, it puts you off the, the battle that you're experiencing or the battle that you feel. But I want to say this to you today, that God has, God is causing his church in this place to thrust with a new release of power from those engines, as it, as it were, as you press into God, there is a new dynamic of the Spirit of God, a new dimension of the Spirit He is bringing amongst you that's going to press you right through those dark clouds and bring you into a season of unprecedented glory for this church where you're going to experience signs and wonders as such a common thing, such a thing, a breakthrough. This will be known as a church of breakthrough because it's been broken through by those who are willing not to back off through fear, not to back off through the pressure of the enemy, but to keep going going forward and pressing into the things of God. Amen. So, I, so I, I want to share with you on, if I was to put a title on this, I would just call it, turn the power up. <laughs> All right. Turn the power up. And so uh, let's, let's read in First Timothy chapter four and, and find out some of these things. I've got lots to share with you today and I can see that clock is already going. So pray for me for grace to get it through. But Paul writes this to Timothy. And when he writes to Timothy, uh, many church historians tell us that at this time, Paul is more than likely in prison. 
And he's coming to the end of his days on this planet. And so he's writing, I always feel hugely moved when I read First and Second Timothy. Because when you read First and Second Timothy, it's, it's always different to all his other letters. He's writing, really writing from his heart. In so many of his other letters, he's, he's writing, instructing the church. He's dealing with pastoral issues. He's establishing sound theology. He's, you know, a, a whole load of things like that. But here he is, and, and he's writing to Timothy, who is left to oversee the, the Ephesian church at the time. Nero has come to the throne. He's a crazy ruler, and like all bad rulers, he's got to find somebody to blame because Rome's falling to pieces, and he's blaming the Christians, and he's lighting them up for his, for his parties and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just a horrendous time of persecution. And, uh, and they've got hold of Paul. And Paul is aware that he's coming towards the end of his life. And so he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, about things that are most important in his walk with God and in his service for the king. And as he writes to him, he's really pouring out his heart. And that's why for many, many years, the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy, and to a lesser extent, the one to Titus, have been very, very often, you know, what shall we say? They've been letters and books to help pastors and leaders through many, many years. I really encourage you. I like to read them through a number of times every year and just help me keep online. You know, they're really, really good for your life and your ministry. But here he is, and, and let's start with verse 12 of First Timothy chapter 4. And he says this, let no one despise your youth. Now, Timothy was in his early 40s at this time, so actually that's quite encouraging. <laughs> you know, let no one despise your youth. But be an example. That's great, isn't it? The way you don't let people despise your youth is not by going around and, and getting into their face and saying, you shouldn't despise my youth, the Bible says so. The way you don't let them despise your youth is that you turn up the flame in your life. You choose to be a better example. You go fully out for God with both feet in the kingdom. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. That's teaching. But this is the verse I want to particularly focus on. Do not neglect the gift. And when he says the word gift, the Greek word is charisma. So he's talking very definitely about a Holy Spirit gift. Okay, This is talking about a supernatural gift that was given to Timothy when he was ordained into the ministry. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. It's remarkable, isn't it, that spiritual endowments, spiritual gifts, empowerments from the Holy Spirit can be imparted to us by the laying on of hands and also through the prophetic word. It's true. Spiritual gifts. So Timothy, when he was ordained to the ministry, was given by God through the leadership that, that laid hands on him, including Paul. As they laid hands on him and appointed him to his ministry, spiritual gifts were imparted to him to empower him to fulfill the ministry he was called to fulfill. And Paul here writes to him in a situation where Timothy is under immense pressure. Many people are jumping ship because of the pressure that is on. They don't want to lose their lives, understandably. But, uh, you know, the Lord calls us to hang tough, doesn't he, when the pressure is on, to go straight, to go to press into prayer, to press into the things of the kingdom. And so in the midst of all of this pressure, he says to him, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It's very easy when you're just, 
you know, when you're going through difficult things or when you're going, going through challenges, it's easy to neglect the ministry that God has called you to, to neglect the gift that he's given to you, that has been given to you to help to serve the body of Christ and to fulfill the purpose of God in his church. And I want to encourage you today not to neglect the gift. Amen. I want to encourage you, you know, relationships struggle when we start to neglect one another, when we fail to encourage one another, when we fail to find, to look for the positives in each other, look for the treasure in each other. You know, we can always, it's quite easy in most of our lives to, to find, you know, some of the negatives. We've all got certain negatives about us. No one, per- is there anybody perfect here? I, I, the only perfect man I've ever met is Jesus. So yeah, but let me just say this. So it's quite easy. If we chose to nitpick, we could all nitpick about certain imperfections in each other's lives. But you never build strong relationships that way. If you want to build a strong relationship, you find the positives and you encourage that. Amen. And so this is the thing, you know, it's important not to be neglectful, not to neglect your relationships, not to neglect the gift of God that is in you. Although it is a gift, it, once it is given, it is under the stewardship of the receiver, not the giver. I'm going to say that again. I'm not sure you got it. Once a gift is given by God, it is no longer under the stewardship of the giver. It's under the stewardship of the receiver. And so once the gift is given, interestingly enough, of course, Romans 11.29 says, The gift and calling of God is irrevocable. The, the ability to revoke something means that you no longer associate with it. It no longer has a place in your life. It, it can't function. It can't operate. It's been revoked. It's nothing to do with you anymore. But the gift and the calling of God is not like that. You cannot revoke it. That's quite a thought. I don't know whether Paul's context of that, incidentally, and it uh, opens up a whole bigger theological debate that I'm not going to get into right now. But Paul's context in that, he's actually preaching about the purpose of God in salvation. And he's talking about the purpose of God and the covenants of God in Israel, though they constantly rejected him. Yet, despite that, his purpose for them didn't change. And so we see and his call upon his covenant with them never changed. It's the same for a Christian. He said, never, 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 never. From God's side, never, 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 never will I leave you. And Never, never, never will I forsake you. End of it. So let me just say this. You know, there is real power in this. But, you know, about the call of God and the gift of God, you may feel like you've made mistakes and you feel like that you can't operate in that anymore. You may feel like the pressure is so hard on your life right now, it's hard for you to concentrate and, and serve. Whatever it is that is with the enemy trying to put pressure, I just want to say this to you, the gift and the call of God within you, it is live, it is living, it's pulsating, it's on the inside of you, it cannot leave, it cannot be revoked, it is inside of you and it's time for you to stir it up not to neglect it but to stir it up amen so Paul goes on there and and in his second letter he writes this in second Timothy chapter one let's start in verse three I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. The phrase he uses in Greek here is your unhypocritical faith. A Hippocrates, the word hypocritical, in, uh, it comes from the Greek theater world. And a Hippocrates was a mask. 
You know when people were put on a mask and they would just pretend to be somebody else and there was a theatre. And in, in, in many ways, this is what the word hypocrisy means. So basically the understanding of that word is, is, that, is that when we put our best Sunday face on, <laughs> can't wait to church, but actually, you know, throughout the week we've been, you know, going through something else or we've been living a different way or whatever, but we... Well, you know, the, the brother who trained me in the ministry, Don Double, he used to call it submarine Christians who, you know, they kind of glug, 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 come up on Sunday and then glug, 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 go down the rest of the week and then up again. You know, so, but, you know, but we put our best face on, you know. And so, but when he talks about Timothy, he says that Timothy has an unhypocritical faith. So he has a faith that's very, very real. It's touchable. He's, he is the same whether he's on the platform preaching as he is during the day. No matter where you meet him or when you meet him, he's a faithful, dependable guy. He trusts God. He's got a real living faith. He's not just saying what he knows he ought to say. He's saying it from a heart that is pulsating with living faith from a relationship with God. Amen. And so he writes this to him. He says, and he says this. He says, when I call to remembrance the unhypocritical faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Therefore, in the light of what he's... What, I was always taught when you see a therefore, see what it's there for. So you've got to get the context, all right? Go back to behind the, first, the verse that's just, uh, just been stated. And he says, therefore, basically in the light of the faith that is in you, in the light of who you really are, Timothy, who God has called you to be and, and the faith and all that God has invested in you, in the light of that, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound, calm and well-balanced mind, the Amplified Bible says. Amen. Amen. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. You know, there is a difference between not neglecting a gift and stirring a gift up. You know, you can choose not to neglect a gift, and so you, you function within the gift, you operate in it to a certain level, but even though you're not neglecting at it, not neglecting it, you could still be operating at the same level you've always operated at. But to stir up the gift of God take, means more than not neglecting. It means actually that you're stirring yourself up to enter into the fullness of the expression of that gift within you. And let me tell you, there are no limits upon that grace gift of God on the inside of you. It's, it's just so very dependent upon you stirring it up and exercising your faith and choosing not to be limited by the spirit of fear. Realizing God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. And I would encourage you to be declaring that on a regular basis. God has given me a spirit of power. God has given me a spirit of love. And God has given me a spirit of a sound mind. Amen. It's powerful stuff. And so I encourage you to turn the power up. The enemy likes to turn the power down through fear. He likes to turn the power down through unbelief or through shame or through pressure or through whatever it is. He tries to get you to turn the power down. But Jesus wants you to turn the power up. And you turn the power up through prayer, through faith, through praise and worship, through the confession of your mouth. But even when you don't feel like it, getting up in the morning in the midst of the most dire circumstances, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen. It's a choice. A choice to praise. As somebody said, make a choice to rejoice. Praise pays. It's an attitude of gratitude. Amen. So 
Choose to be that way. God is taking you into a new season. And it is a time of acceleration and a breaking through. Amen. Breaking through. You know, when you exercise, you get stronger. You may feel pain when you exercise. Years ago, when I used to play rugby and, and uh, I was a county sound squash player and all this kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes you play till you felt that you're, you, were, you were just going to throw up. It was just, you know, honestly, um, the fitness levels required of us. Uh, let me just say that, um, yes, it's a long time ago. But let me just, <laughs> let, let, but, but, you know, the thing about it is, is that I can remember coming back from those things and the pain in my muscles. But the thing about it is, is that when you next go on court or when you next go to play, you're stronger, you're faster, you're more capable, you're sharper in every way. It's cost you, but on the other side of it, the benefits way outweigh the cost. And it's important for us to remember that as we press through in a new season in God. And it's important, Jesus said that Israel did not recognize the time of their visitation so important to stay close to him because you are entering seasons of waves of visitation i believe that the spirit of god is drawing near to you there's going to be waves increasing waves of visitation there is a cooperation ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 a well-known verse says now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly Above all that we can ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You know, this, this thing about let, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. This thing about according to the power that works in us. For many, many years, I had this sense whenever I read that, the witness in my spirit that what the Apostle Paul was talking about was a cooperation between what goes on on the inside of us in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, in prayer and in the Word of God, etc., and what happens outside of us in manifestation of power and God working through us. So whenever God wants to work through us, He starts doing something new in us. And we have to cooperate with him. And then as I was reading one day through Vine's expository dictionary of Greek words, he absolutely underlines that the Greek words that are used here, when he uses the phrase according to the power that's within us, absolutely means that. That there is a cooperation between us in prayer and, and, and the release of the spirit within us and what happens through us in the miraculous. And you know, in the Greek it is, it is absolutely irrefutable. There is a, and it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you. Within you. Amen. So guys, that's why this whole thing of, of praying in the spirit, of confessing the word of God, of choosing to praise. These are, they're like spiritual workouts for a life of miracles. I'm going to say that again. Okay, I, I, I want you to get this. This is not okay for the guys who are, you know, the, the particularly spiritual. You know, I don't really care whether you pray in times kind of like like that, or whether you speak in times. However you do it, just do it. <laughs> the power is not in how you express yourself. The power is in the release of the spirit when you speak in tongues. Amen. It 
edifies you. It builds you up. It strengthens you and empowers you on the inside. And then when you speak the word, when you lay hands, when you go to step out in faith, the power that has been released, it gets released. Amen? Guys, this is a, there's a real dynamic in all of this. Look, I, I don't know about you. I, I get really stirred up and motivated. I, I love testimonies. Testimonies stir me up. And, uh, and you know, I, I regularly read testimonies. You know, I... I'm always reading. The guys who travel with me know I've got a very heavy backpack. And, and it's, uh, it's like my library, you know. I, I should be more in the new, you know, in the modern age and have it all downloaded. But I do have some things downloaded, but I do like my books. And so, you know, I go around there and, you know, just with my shoulder like this, you know. And, um, but I'm always reading. I'm always reading a book about leadership. I'm reading a book about theology. And I'm reading a book about faith. And I'm reading a book that's a testimony. I keep those four groups with me all the time. So I just keep, keep learning on those different areas. Well, look, you know, here's um, what I wanted to share with you is a few testimonies here. That I'm reading a book again that I've read many times. Um, but it just absolutely blessed my socks off. And, uh, and that's why I read it so much. It's uh, the life story of John G. Lake. I want to recommend this book to you. I only like to recommend books I've read myself and that I know will really bless your socks off. So um, this one is published by Kenneth Copeland Ministries. It's a compilation of John G. Lake's material. It is the story of his life. It's his sermons and his boldness of faith. There's a number of books there all compiled in one. I just want to read you a couple of testimonies to stir you up. Because, you know, sometimes people get comfortable with a certain level of expression of the power of the Spirit. A few short legs growing, a few bodies on the floor, a few demons screaming out, and we're happy as Larry. But let me just say something to you, that there's a whole lot more in God. So, look, I'm just going to read you a couple of stories to provoke you. Is that all right? You know, if you want to get thirsty, just put a bit of salt on the end of your tongue. So this is, this is a bit of salt to stir you up. Okay, here you are. Some stories. I was in the home of uh, De Valeris in Krudersdorp. I probably didn't say that right. Forgive me, any South Africans. South Africa one day when a man came in who had traveled all over the country with a sunstroke, which had affected his mind. He had developed a great cancer. He had been following us from place to place trying to catch up with me. He came into the house and proved to be a friend of the family. In a little while, a six-year-old child... A six-year-old child who'd been sitting near me went across the room, climbed on the man's knees, put her hands on the cancer on his face and prayed. I saw the cancer wither and disappear so that within one half hour, the entire tumor had disappeared. The wound was there, but it healed in a few days. When the child laid her hands on the top of his head, he arose saying, oh, the fire that's been in my brain has gone out and his mind was restored to normality. Power belongs to God. The simplest soul can touch God and live in the presence of God and his almighty power. Here's another one. In 1912, I was pastor of the Apostolic Tabernacle, Johannesburg, South Africa. The ministry of healing through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was one of the cardinal teachings of our organization. The sick were brought from all parts of the land. Thousands were healed through the prayer of faith and the laying on of the hands of those who believed. Our church was then enjoying a great period of spiritual blessing and power. Various remarkable manifestations of the Spirit commonly occurred. At a Sunday service, before public prayer was offered, a member of the congregation arose and requested that the audience join in prayer on behalf of a cousin in Wales, 7,000 miles across the sea from Johannesburg, so that she might be healed. He stated that the woman was violently insane and the inmate of an asylum in Wales. 
I knelt on the platform to pray. An unusual degree of the spirit of prayer came upon my soul, causing me to pray with fervor and power. The spirit of prayer fell on the audience at the same time. And the people ordinarily who sat in their seats and bowed their heads while prayer was being offered, they're getting down on their knees, hundreds of them all over the the house, kneeling to pray with me. I was uttering the audible prayer. They were praying silently. A great consciousness of the presence of God took possession of me. My spirit rose in a great consciousness of spiritual dominion. I felt for the moment as though I were anointed to cast out demons. My inner or spiritual eyes were opened. I could see in the spirit and observed that there was a shaft of seeming light accompanied by moving power coming from many of those who were praying. As the prayer continued, these shafts of light increased in number. Each one of them reached my own soul. Each brought an increasing impulse of spiritual power until I seemed nigh overcome by it. While this was going on, I was uttering the words of prayer with great force and consciousness of spiritual power. Presently, I seemed out of the body and to my surprise observed that I was rapidly passing over the city of Kimberley, 300 miles from Johannesburg. The next consciousness was the city of Cape Town on the seacoast, 1,000 miles away. The next consciousness was the island of St. Helena when Napoleon was banished. Then the Cape Verde lighthouse on the coast of Spain came into view. By this time, it seemed as if I was passing through the atmosphere, observing everything but moving with great lightning-like rapidity. I remember the passage along the coast of France across the Bay of Biscay, then into Wales. I had never been in Wales. It was a new country to me. As I passed swiftly over the country, I said, these are like the hills of Wyoming along the North Dakota border. Presently, a village appeared, nestled in the deep valley among the hills. Next, a public building that I recognized instinctively as the asylum. On the door, I observed an old-fashioned 16th century knocker. Suddenly, I was inside the institution without waiting for the doors to open and present at the side of a cot on which lay a woman. Her wrists were strapped to the sides of the cot, also her ankles. Another strap passed over her legs above the knees and a second over her breasts. These were to hold her down. She was wagging her head and muttering incoherently. I laid my hands upon her head and with great intensity commanded in the name of Jesus Christ that the demon spirit possessing her be cast out and she might be healed by the power of God. In a moment or two, I observed a change coming over her countenance. It softened and and a look of intelligence appeared. Presently, her eyes opened and she smiled up in my face and I knew she was healed. I had no consciousness of return whatsoever. Instantly, I was aware that I was still kneeling in prayer and was conscious of all the surrounding environment of my church and service. Three weeks passed when my friend who had presented the request for prayer came to me with a letter from one of his relatives stating that an unusual thing had occurred. Their cousin, who had been confined for seven years in an asylum in Wales, suddenly had become well. They had no explanation to offer. The doctor said it was one of those unaccountable things that sometimes happen. She was perfectly well and was returned to her friends. Fabulous, isn't it? Let me just read to you just a few others here for your encouragement. When I lived in Africa, one of our departments was the native work. I bless God for the privilege of witnessing the marvels of God amongst the native people. I believe we had the privilege that has never been accorded any other white man in the world in modern times. On Christmas Eve 1912 in Land, the Lord's Supper was administered to 75 healed lepers. They were healed under the ministry of a black fellow whose sole raiment when we first met him was a goatskin apron. It was a beautiful thing to sit with this man in the service. 
A few months ago, I was absent from the city of Spokane, Washington. When I returned, Mrs. Lake was not at home. It was just about time to leave for my afternoon service. Just then, someone came in and said, Your secretary, Mrs. Graham, is in the throes of death and your wife is with her. So I hurried down to the place. When I got there, the wife of one of my ministers met me at the door and said, You're too late. She's gone. And as I stepped in, I met the minister coming out of the room. He said, she's not breathed for a long time. But as I looked on that woman and thought how God Almighty three years before had raised that woman out of death, after her womb and ovaries and tubes had been removed in operations, but how the Lord had given them back to her after which she was married and conceived and had children. How my heart flamed. I took that woman up off the pillow and I called on God for the lightnings of heaven to blast the power of death and deliver her. I commanded her to come back and stay. She came back after not breathing for 23 minutes. When you and I are lost in the Son of God and the fires of Jesus burn in our hearts like they did in him, our words will be spirit and life. One last particularly touching testimony. There's so many here, but there's just a few. In my assembly in Spokane, there's a dear little woman who was blind for nine years. She had little teaching along the line of faith in God. She had one day with her group of six children to discover that her dirty brute of a husband had abandoned her and her children. He had left them to starve. You know, a debased human being is capable of doing what no beast will do, for even a beast will care for its own. You can imagine what that little heart was like. She was crushed and broken, bruised and bleeding. She gathered her children around her and began to pray. They were sitting on their front porch. Presently, one of them got up and said, Oh, Mama, there's a man coming up the path, and he looks like Jesus. Mama, there's blood on his hands and blood on his feet. The children were frightened and ran around the house. After a while, the biggest one looked around the corner and said, Why, Mama, he's laying his hands on your eyes. And just then, her blind eyes of nine years were opened and she could see. That is our Jesus. That is our Jesus. Let it stir up your heart. Matthew 17, verse 14 to 21, tells, of a, tells us of a time that when Jesus came down the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says that even, not only his faith, but even his clothes were shining and radiant with the glory of God. It, it, it reminds me that in the Old Testament around Exodus 20, when Moses came down from, you know, from, uh, the mountain and his face was shining with the glory of God under the law the people were afraid and they and they ran from him they ran away from him he had to put a cover on his face to hide the glory of what was passing by but under the new covenant of grace the people didn't run from him they ran to him and this is the wonder of the grace of God. And so his light, light and glory is shining out of him. But when he comes down, he finds that his disciples are in a time of debate with the, with religious leaders of the law, with the scribes who were the religious lawyers of the day. And they're having a debate. And Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? And then suddenly a man calls out from the crowd and says, Master, I brought my son to your disciples, uh, but they could not heal him. He has a spirit that throws him into the water and fire and tries to destroy him, but they could not help him. Suddenly we see Jesus, a bit different to gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He says, oh, wicked and perverse generation, how long do I have to bear with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring him here to me. And as the boy approaches him, the demon in the boy recognizes Jesus and throws him on the ground and he starts to manifest demons. Jesus casts the demon out and hands the boy back to his father, totally healed by the power of God. Afterwards, privately, the disciples said, why could we not cast it out? Now, Jesus did not say, 
Well, you see, the problem is, is that three generations ago, his great-grandmother got involved in this, you see. <laughs> he didn't say, well, you couldn't get him delivered because the fact is that, you know, about 100 years ago on this patch of ground, there was stuff that was done that we need to do some, some repentance over that before God's power will work in this place. Jesus never taught that. Neither did any of the disciples. That's old covenant thinking. But new covenant thinking is different. The blood of Jesus has been shed to redeem the whole of mankind. And when he ascended to heaven, he broke through the heavenlies, opened the heavenlies up by the power of God. And so Jesus went straight for the the jugular and he said to them, it was because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Now guys, we just have to face this in ourselves. You know, there are some things that are minors in the Christian life and there are some things that are majors. I want to encourage you not to major in the minors. I want to encourage you to major in the majors. And one of the majors is faith. You live by faith. You're saved by faith. You stand by faith. It's the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the evil one. You overcome the world by faith. It's pretty important. (laughs) So you want to keep your faith built up. And the way you keep your faith built up is you fill your heart with the word of God. And you pray in tongues much. And you keep your focus on the Lord in praise and in worship. Amen? And so this is how you keep your faith built up. And I want to encourage you to do exactly that. He said, however, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And this whole issue is so powerful. You may have heard me say this before, but I can remember when I first heard from David Hogan. I had the privilege of meeting him, having lunch with him at one time, you know, and uh, who leads that great work in Mexico. And he's personally, you know, seen, oh, 31, 32 raised from the dead. And his team have raised 300 from the dead. You know, but he fasts and prays every other day of his life. So when I first heard that, I determined for myself, I'll do the same. I felt really challenged by it. I started to fast around. For three months, I kept it up, fasting and praying every day. And do you know what? During that time, I probably saw more people healed of quote-unquote terminal cancer in that period than at any other time of a ministry. There is no doubt about it. That whatever God has graced you with will be maximized within a culture of prayer and fasting in your life. David Hogan talks about a time when it deals with unbelief in us. It doesn't change God, but it changes us. And so David Hogan tells of a time when he got all his leaders together and they were in a retreat for a week or something and they were fasting, they were praying, they were seeking the Lord. And suddenly he said the power of God broke out in one of the meetings, and he said, literally, it was like waves upon waves. And he said that just again and again, the people kept going out like under waves of the power of God. So David said, I was on my knees, and suddenly I looked up, and at the back of the meeting, suddenly I saw Jesus. He said, I had a manifestation of the discerning of spirits. I saw the Lord. And when I saw the Lord, I, I saw him just going like this. And every time he just lifted his hand like that, it, it was another wave would just go like this and knock out hundreds of leaders at a time. And he would just stand there and just go, he was just standing there doing that and then suddenly he said uh, as people started to get up again and this kind of thing he said a look suddenly came over Jesus' face like a look of consternation and of concern and Jesus turned and like this and he started to slowly walk away out of the building and at that moment David suddenly said, I I couldn't let him go. He said, I ran out after him and I grabbed hold of his garment. He says, to me, it was physical. I grabbed the garments, he said, uh, uh, that he was wearing. And suddenly he turned around, he said, and he looked at me. And when he looked at me, he says, as it says in the book of Revelation, that his, his eyes are like fire. 
He said, he looked at me and his eyes went right through me like burning fire. And he said, I suddenly, I, uh, I didn't feel gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He said, I felt the incredible power and authority that emanated from him. And I kind of felt, I've just taken hold of the cloak of the Son of God. What have I done? <laughs> and he said, he looked at me. And he said, but with all the strength I could muster, I could barely speak. I said, Jesus, don't go. And then the Lord looked at, looked at him and said to him, David, I cannot stay. There is too much unbelief. And he said, obviously, he didn't mean it in the sense of God's omnipresence and his promise and all of that. But in terms of manifest power and presence. He said, and David just suddenly looked up at him and said, Lord, I believe. And at that moment, he said, the, the Lord's look of consternation changed to a smile. And his face softened. And then he started to walk away again and then looked and smiled at David and then one more time just raised his hand and another hundred leaders just went under the power of God. Guys, look, we need to guard our hearts. We need to pursue faith in these days. We need to be a people who speak faith, who believe what God says, believe his promises, press into everything that God has said. It's time to turn the power up. It's turn, time to turn the power up. Because there are people around here in Cambridge who will never be reached without an encounter with the power of God. And these are the days for it. I'm going to start to come into land right now, but as I do so, I want to close with just a couple more. One more testimony of a lady who's now very famous, but she came from our own area back down in Sutton in Surrey where I grew up. And now very famous around the world, Jackie Pullinger. But Jackie Pullinger grew up in our hometown. And she was just a, she was an ordinary girl. She was a, uh, you know, a, a music student. And, um, you know, she loved the Lord. And uh, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of our churches in, in Sutton. Well, from there, she got to a place where um, she was very young in Jesus. And she was very passionate and wanted to serve the Lord with all of her life. Didn't really know what to do or how to, you know, how to go about things. But she was reading in the gospel of how Jesus gave us the great commission to go into all the world and to all the nations. And so she went to see one of the local pastors and she just said to him, you know, what do I do? Where do I go? She said, Jesus said to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Where do I go? And, and he just said as a kind of joke, he didn't intend her to take it in seriousness, but he just said jokingly to her, oh, I would just get around the world ticket and just, just jump off and stop off wherever you feel, you know, like that. And, uh, but she took it as the word of the Lord. And so she went and got herself around the world ticket and she got on a boat and ran. But when she landed in Hong Kong, she just, uh, she felt drawn to Hong Kong. And so she got out and she saw the walled city, which of course is no longer there, except as like an empty museum of what was. But she saw it and she said, despite the fact the police wouldn't go in there and it was run by, you know, by pimps and, 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 and triad leaders, gangs and all of this kind of thing. There was all the violence and all the rest of it. She said she just felt drawn in her heart to it. And when she looked at it, she saw like the new Jerusalem. <laughs> she saw it through the eyes of faith. And so this is the thing that when we turn the power up in God and when we reach out to the Lord, he enables us to see the impossible through the eyes of faith. Amen. And she sees this and her heart is longing for God to break out. So she starts absolutely giving herself fully to reach the people in the, you know, uh, in the wall city. Weeks go by. She's witnessing wherever she can. She's helping practically where she can. She's praying. She's doing everything she ever learned from any of the church, everything she ever, ever knew to do, but nothing is happening. Nobody is listening to her. 
Finally, she starts to pray and cry out to the Lord. She's utterly exhausted and worn out. And she says, Lord, where am I going wrong? What do I do? And the Holy Spirit said to her, you need to pray in tongues more. She was already praying in tongues every day, but just five, ten minutes or so. So she started and she committed then to the Lord that she would pray in tongues as a, as a consistent chunk, not just throughout the day, she would do that as well, but, but as a consistent chunk, she would pray for half an hour solidly every day. That was her starting point. After 10 days of praying in tongues solid in solid chunks of half an hour, she walked out into the street early in the morning as normal to go out to see if she could find people to help and witness to. And one of the leader of one of the largest triad gangs comes running up to her and collapses on his knees in the middle of the street, weeping and saying, what must I do to be saved? A massive breakthrough. She leads him to Christ. When she leads him to Christ, well, he's a drug addict again. He's a heroin addict. So how do I get him free? The Lord says, pray with him in tongues. So she, she stays up all night long praying with him in tongues. But within three days, just constantly praying with him in tongues, he is completely delivered from, from heroin and all of its side effects. And that was the end of it. The result of that is that she had literally ministered to thousands of drug addicts through the years and got them delivered the same way, just praying in tongues. She uh, trained her team the same way that Jesus trained her, praying in tongues over these people until they were totally delivered and set free. This is the power of praying in the Spirit. John fourteen twelve is the inheritance of every believer. That he who believes in me shall do what I've been doing and even greater works than these shall he do. Because I go to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. That the Father be glorified in the Son. We see the ministry of Jesus is a constant pattern of power and prayer and power and miracles. Prayer and power and miracles. Prayer and power and miracles. Throughout the Gospels. It's interesting that after a year of seeing Jesus' ministry... The disciples' one question is, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because that is the basis that they observed in his life, living with him 24 hours a day. They saw that that's what released the power of God. Just a very brief praise of the early chapters of the book of Acts shows us in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, they were gathered together in prayer on the basis of the promise, waiting for the promise of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, the Spirit fell. They all start speaking in tongues. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and 3,000 are added to the church. They continue in prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 43. They continue in prayer. And then we find in Acts 3 that the great miracle of a man who's born crippled, he gets healed and he's raised up. And it leads to more thousands coming to Christ. But they get in trouble because of it. They're taken before the Sanhedrin. And, in, and then once they are beaten, they, they're sent back and they come back to their own people. When they come back to the believers, they all lift their voice in one accord in prayer. And more power is released. And the apostles, the Bible says many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. And we find them praying again until we find that in Acts chapter 5 that they even start bringing people from all the areas around Jerusalem, laying them out on the streets so that at least even the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them and then be healed. And the Bible says they were all healed. Just imagine that that kind of power is flowing in King's Church, Cambridge. And people from around the city and people from around the...
But you know, it's literally. Can you imagine them? Forget it. It really doesn't. There we are. <laughs> Can you just imagine them all outside, gathered here, literally hanging outside, waiting for the service to begin because of the power of God that is manifested in this place? I tell you, I do believe that we're going to see those days. I do believe that we will see those days. I've been reading again just recently through not only John G. Lake's life story, but I've been reading again through the days of the Jeffries brothers and. And that kind of stuff happened then. Don Double told me of a time when the Holy Spirit told him in the early years of his ministry to go to a particular town in Cornwall and to do a gospel campaign there for 10 days. And none of the churches would receive him in those days. He was seen to be a bit too radical. But he, uh, you know, but he, he phoned up the local council wanting to book the local village hall for a gospel campaign for 10 nights in succession. And they said to him, you cannot have that hall, Mr. Double. And they put the phone down on him. And so he waited a week, hoping that maybe as he phoned up again the next time round, fairly determined, he thought that uh, you know, maybe he'd find someone else on the phone. So ten, about, you know, about a week later, he phones up again, and he asked for permission for 10 days for the local village hall. And again, they said to him, no, Mr. W, you cannot have the hall. And to find, he said he came back feeling quite dejected and discouraged. And he went back to prayer. And the Lord said to him, Don, I told you to preach in that village hall. Tell them that I have given you the hall, that I want you to preach there. So then he phoned up the council again. They picked it up again. And he said, it's Don Double again. At which moment, they, the person said, ah, oh, you. And they were about to put the phone. said, don't hang up on me. He said, God wants me to have that village hall. <laughs> At which moment said, well, in that case, you can have it, sir. And they gave it to him <laughs> for 10 nights in succession. And a move of God broke out that went on for 10 weeks. Every night for 10 weeks, people ended up queuing from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock service to get into that evening meeting, to be healed, to be delivered, to be saved. And everyone in the town except two people gave their lives to Christ. A whole generation was saved in that town in Cornwall over 10 weeks. Let me tell you, it's time to have our ears open to heaven. It's time to be praying much in the spirit. Time to be pressing on in faith. I want to encourage you, if at the moment you pray in the spirit in 10 minutes a day, go for half an hour. If it's half an hour, go for 40 minutes or go for an hour. Whatever it is, just start pressing into God. I, I, want, I want to challenge you because there's going to be things that will literally just fall off your life as you do. They will just fall off your life without any counseling, without any ministry. They will just drop off your life as you pursue the Lord in that way. And you will find miracles will flow through you in a way that you haven't seen before when you pray. You will discover new ministries operating within you that you didn't even think you had. The Spirit of God will flow through you in increasing power. Brothers and sisters, it is time to turn the power up. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, 
go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.